This episode of the What the Fintech podcast is sponsored by Clear Junction. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and for this episode, we're joined by Teresa Cameron, finance director at payment solutions provider Clear Junction. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time out to speak with us this week. Just to get started, would you like to quickly let us know a bit more about yourself and, and the work you're doing at Clear Junction? Yeah, so I've been here at Clear Junction for two and a half years now. Prior to that, I've always, well, I most of my career has been working in financial companies in treasury and risk management, heavily involved in payments. I worked in foreign exchange trading brokerage in my earlier career. And then I sort of did a stint in the music industry and some advertising and then I've come back to financial services again. And, and in this role in Clear Junction, partly my role is to lead the finance team uh, globally for our group companies, but also I support the CEO on our sort of strategy and strategic growth ambitions. So it's been a really interesting and fulfilling job so far. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, sounds great. And again, it's great to have you on the show this week. On the show, we'll be taking a look at the need for evolution in, in cross-border payments and how innovations such as blockchain payments tokenization in crypto could forge a path forward there and we'll also learn more about the current regulatory environment surrounding digital assets in the uk the geographical challenges that come into play with cross-border transactions and of course the work that clear junction is doing in the payment space that's all to come a bit later but as always to get us started is our news in number segment so this is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss so teresa what have you brought along for us today so given the sort of topic that we're talking about today around cross-border and also some of my team have just been over at um, Cybos in Toronto, I thought I would uh, pick something uh, around that. So the thing that I wanted to call out in numbers is around cross-border payments and as they are at the moment. So currently cross-border payments take around 55% longer than domestic payments for UK um, businesses. And of the 120 trillion global B2B payments in 2021, at least 10 trillion of these were for cross-border transactions. So that's a huge amount of payments, both number and value, that are taking a significantly longer amount of time to process than in-country domestic payment routes. I know some big companies in the market as well are also trying to address this issue. So coming out of Cybus again was news around Visa and PayPal both announcing uh, the use of stablecoins to try and enhance their state uh, settlement capabilities in this area. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, on, on that point with the stablecoins, I mean, do you feel like that's going to start becoming the norm these days? Do you think that that's the way forward now? I think, and I'll go into this a bit more later, but I think there is the need to do things. People expect things to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People want things instantly. Cross-border solutions are not really keeping up with domestic faster payment solutions. So we need a way to try and to achieve that. And I really feel like digital ledger technology can help to enhance that, but it's not really been adopted due to sort of volatility in traditional crypto assets that are used for example, Bitcoin is very volatile. Um, but I think that stablecoins is a way that whereas stablecoins are pegged to the currency and there is much less volatility, the use of digital ledger technology in combination with stablecoins could provide that solution. Excellent. So looking back at the, the numbers then, you said the cross-border payments taking 55% longer than domestic payments in the UK. 
I mean, what would you say are the main things causing that delay then in cross-border transactions? So the main thing causing that delay is, you know, when you're sending a a payment cross-border, you're typically dealing with at least two or three banks because the payment has to go through the remittance corridor and has to go through different correspondent banking. And so part of that is the literally the logistics of going from one bank to another and then also you can be crossing to different time zones and most traditional payment systems work a nine to five in that particular country so depending on which country you are from and to you could miss cutoff windows in different jurisdictions and have the prospect of using multiple correspondent banks within the chain so that's what drives the sort of slower payment speed and i mean with globalization now and obviously many businesses having customers all over the world how important is that smooth kind of cross-border transaction processing then? And is this a, a big concern from potential partners who are reaching out to, to you at Clear Junction? Yeah, it's really important. A lot of people are working more globally now. This is for businesses, but also for individuals. There's lots of people working in different countries, remitting money back home, and everybody needs things fast. It's not like these sort of days when everything worked nine to five, Monday to Friday. A lot of the world has opened up online shopping, online banking, for personal use is all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think businesses really want that same service. And also particularly for businesses where they, what they have to tend to do is keep large pools of liquidity in different countries to try and mitigate that timing difference. And it is a barrier to particularly remittance companies being able to expand and grow because they're limited by how much liquidity they need to keep to counteract this timing difference in payments. So how would you say, I mean, you've touched on a few points there, but how would you say cross-border transactions and money movements has evolved in recent years? And what are some of the key challenges that still exist there for, for businesses and individuals? Okay, so um, as we sort of mentioned before, we're living in this increasingly connected global economy. Payments play a really crucial role in enabling commerce between consumers and businesses, and they're transacting globally cross-border. There's around 800 million people globally who receive money from family and friends who are working abroad. If we look at sort of geographies, you have key remittance to geographies like India, Mexico, China, and the Philippines. And then on the other side, you have sort of key remit out geographies such as US, UK, Europe, and actually more commonly UAE. These consumers expect real-time payments and the ability to do business 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is because it's being compared to what they can do locally with real-time payment options. And it's felt that sort of cross-border is really lagging behind domestic real-time payments. Now, traditionally, with cross-border transactions, the use is wire payments or clearinghouse transfers, and these take anywhere between hours to days to settle, and that can depend on a few things. It sometimes depends on how many intermediary banks are involved in the process, and each of those intermediary banks will be wanting a fee for their part of that transaction, so that can ultimately reduce the amount that the customer receives. So it's very inefficient and also very expensive. Another key challenge with cross-border payments now is fraud with lots of intermediaries in play and varying different standards of payment information. Being able to detect and prevent fraud is much more complex as the payment is really difficult to trace through all of those different payment chains. 
And then finally, something we hear from our clients quite a lot is the fact that liquidity can be a real challenge for players in this space, particularly remittance companies. Quite often they have to pre-fund their liquidity and it's a sort of very difficult and costly burden for them. In particular now, when we see increasing interest rates, the sort of cost to have that liquidity in place severely hampers them from being able to grow their revenues because they can only um, have so much liquidity support these transactions that are taking days or weeks to get through. Right. And you mentioned obviously stable coins and DLT at the start of the show, but what are some of the key innovations that you're seeing in the space that are, are making cross-border transactions easier? Yeah, so we are seeing increasing pressure for the adoption of emerging technologies such as digital ledger technology and also card network expansion. Whilst we know crypto assets have been sort of gaining ground since about 2010, they do offer uh, an alternative to correspondent banking because in principle, any functional currency, cryptocurrency, can act as a cross-border remittance vehicle. So, for example, in each jurisdiction, you can swap crypto to fiat. And then on the other leg, on the other side, you can also swap crypto to fiat. And you can do this in seconds. And you can do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And because it's quite cheap, you know you're running on computer systems and ledgers. In theory, this can be comparable to the lower, much lower cost of faster payments in local territories. I think the other thing to call out here is that this technology also allows greater security and traceability. Everything is captured on the ledger and fully traceable. So it could offer a way to combat some of this data security uh, concerns, breaches, and also help traceability from fraud-related transactions. I think probably in the market, you can think of an example here of RippleNet and their use of XRP to provide this type of um, solution. Having said that, though, uh, what is a blocker to this mass adoption of digital ledger technology, in my opinion, is the fact that some of these crypto assets are so volatile and the price can change very rapidly. And so that makes it risky and not something that can be easily adopted by businesses, as an example. And this is where I think that stablecoins can come in because the stablecoin is pegged to the domestic currency. The volatility is, you know, much, much, much more reduced. And I think this is the way that we can then unlock the digital technology by using these stablecoins. And actually, if we look at the majors, UK, Europe, US, there's not much volatility in currency. But in some of the more remote areas where they're particularly implemented, impacted by volatility in their local currency, this could be a way for them to even be more secure if they're using US dollar, UK, European stable coins. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Cybus at the start of the show as well. I was there this year. One of the big talking points that came from that was payments tokenization as well. Do you see these technologies and methods being in the future of the space? Yeah, so obviously like take tokenization is a tool that helps to take that sensitive information, for example, a credit card number, and replace it with a random set of numbers, which is the token. So I think this has a really good potential to enhance security and reduce fraud. And it is also fully compliant with PCI DSS requirements. And also the cost can be relatively low compared to the cost of protecting all of this sensitive data or enabling sort of security around that data. I think um, it has a different place to probably the stablecoin solution. I think it's best applied to sort of on online retail payments, subscription-based services, platform businesses, or even maybe in-store or around point of sale in retail. 
And I think also with both of these types of technology, I think they are a much easier way for globally everybody to create a unified approach to how transactions are communicated to each other, how they're shared. I think it's a way that we can harmonise the payment information that flows globally and that can only help to make payments more efficient, seamless and reduce fraud. Excellent, yeah. And looking at uh, crypto more in, in general then, I mean, has sentiment around digital assets dropped with, with the crypto winter, with the volatility that we've been mentioning as well? Or is this still something that companies such as yourselves are looking to embrace? And, and do you think crypto has the potential to be used more regularly as, as a payment method? So I think uh, the term crypto is used very generically uh, quite a lot. And this exposure to crypto winter, people talk about that a lot. And it really highlights things like volatility so when we talk about the crypto wallet, crypto winter, people think about volatility, they think about assets being dangerous. What hasn't helped is some really high profile failures such as FTX, which is all in the news right now as the court case is currently ongoing. And as a result of this, crypto in general is just seen as a risky asset and it doesn't help that also regulation is still forthcoming in this type of technology. Having said that, if you strip back crypto to what it actually means and you look at the technology, so digital ledger technology and blockchain, there are clearly so many benefits in adopting this technology, particularly in cross-border payments as we discussed. And this could help to bring the next evolution in payments. I believe it will be the next evolution in payments. So our view here at Clear Junction is actually not should we, will we, but actually we must look at how we can adopt our products and services and use this technology to remain competitive in the payment space that we operate in in the future. Excellent, excellent. I mean, so what are, what are the big hurdles that exist when it comes to the wider adoption of, of crypto? And you mentioned regulations there, but what's the current state of play in, in the, the UK when it comes to the regulatory environment? I think clarity on regulation is one of the biggest blockers to how this is going to obtain mass adoption. Actually, the UK government is taking quite a proactive approach to digital assets. Even the PM himself has discussed the UK becoming a global hub for digital asset technology. And along with that, the FCA have been working on the review and implementation of crypto asset regulation regime for quite some time, actually. A few, a couple of the, their first initiatives have already come in quick succession. So we had the travel rule regime came up very recently. And actually, even just last week, uh, we had the marketing promotion rules. So they're bringing that out in quick succession. And also what we see is that as well as bringing out these rules, they are monitoring and enforcing them from day one. So lots of communication with uh, business and making sure that business are compliant and not being afraid to um, step in for those that are not compliant. And so it shows that they're taking it seriously and they are being proactive in enforcing it because they want it to be they want it to be adopted. So they need to show credibility. The other thing that the FCA recently announced actually this week is that, that they will be focusing on the UK regulatory framework for stablecoins. So perhaps this feeds into this narrative that everyone's been discussing about how this might be the first use case for mass adoption of digital ledger technology. Excellent. And with the theme of this week's episode being cross-border payments, I mean, what kind of geographical challenges exist here then as well, especially given the US's recent strong regulatory stance when it comes to crypto? Yeah, so I'd say in the EU, there's a similar approach to the UK. They're actively working on the Mika regulation, and this is looking at harmonising the approach to crypto asset regulation across the whole of the EU. 
and bringing in a sort of EU-wide crypto assets regulatory framework. And many of the consultation papers and initial output from Mika is very similar and aligned to the UK approach. As you say, the US is much more challenging. I think they've seen the fair share of the high profile market failures, as we discussed, such as FTX. Also, a number of crypto related banks that have gone into insolvency. Uh, We see that regulators have taken a much, much tougher stance. And I would probably say there is a bit of an anti-crypto sentiment in the US at the moment because of these failings. There's also been some high profile legal, legal cases between businesses and the SEC. And so I think it's much more unclear with the US regulators how they're going to um, approach digital assets. But I think at some point they will need to sort of come round because the UK and Europe will be pushing ahead and there's a risk there that could be left behind. I'm not so sure how long this, that's going to take, but I think patience is key and consumer demand will drive them to eventually sort of come round to the same kind of thinking as UK and Europe. Excellent, excellent. And moving away from crypto, then maybe back towards uh, Cybos. Another one of the big talking points there was was ISO twenty zero twenty two. What do you think that the full rollout of this could mean for the future of cross border payments? So, as we know, ISO twenty twenty two in two thousand and twenty two aims to create this global standard for the information and data that accompanies payment flows. This can only help improve the efficiency and transparency of the payment flows. As we know, and we discussed earlier, the payments go through various different correspondent banks in the intermediary and the information that can flow can vary between different banks, depending on where they come from, which jurisdiction they are, even which language the payments flows are coming through in. So I think this can only help with that seamless flow. And also it should help with fraud protection because um, there should be sort of a, a minimum standard of information that can then be used to detect fraud So I think whilst this will improve the current and traditional way of making cross-border payments, I still don't see how this will compete long-term with the speed and security that digital edge technology can offer. Excellent. And on that front, I mean, with the rapid rate of of acceleration in technology development these days, how difficult is it for large global institutions to to stay at the cutting edge of new technology? And how important are are partnerships between fintechs and banks at the moment when it comes to, to payments? Yeah, so I think with the large global institutions, they tend to have huge legacy systems that are really difficult to change, slow to change. The pace of technology here and the regulatory updates is a really heavy burden. Now for these global institutions, this is one small part of a number of services that they provide. So here I see that there's an opportunity for banks and fintechs to collaborate actually a bit more with each other. If I look at fintechs such as here, us here at Clear Junction, we invest 100% of our time and effort into managing the risks of operating in this space and along with keeping up with regulation, both in our knowledge and our technology. This is 100% of what we do, but it's a small percentage of what the banks do as a whole. So I think if the banks could be open to working alongside fintechs, they could probably leverage the skills and technology with of fintechs and stay ahead of the game by partnering with a fintech company to support that specific area of their business rather than spreading themselves too thin across everything that they do. And just to finish off then, I mean, how do you see the payment space evolving then into the, into the near future? And are there any payments developments you're working on at Clear Junction at the moment you could tell us about? Yeah, so as we've talked about a lot today, I think that I really do see that with regulatory clarity, which is hopefully coming very soon, 
we will start to see mass adoption of digital ledger technologies. And I, I do believe that will be the next evolution in, in payments. Cross-border payments is an obvious, you know, good and probably the best use case for this initially, I believe. Here at Clear Junction, actually, with our recent acquisition of a UK regulated digital assets firm, that's now come into our group. So what we're working on is positioning ourselves to offer the client, our clients the ability to manage their payment and treasury needs by accessing accessing both traditional fiat payment rails, but also alongside access to digital ledger technology-based solutions. So particularly we're looking at how stablecoins can help to speed up that cross-border payments for them and also reduce the burden of liquidity for our clients. So that's definitely an area that we are focused on for the next six months. Thank you so much again, Teresa, for taking the time out to speak with us today. Uh, to close out the podcast, we have our now infamous fintech jail. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that you've seen or heard enough of. So, what is your selection for this week? So, I am actually going to choose the word crypto. As I've mentioned, this word is used in such a generic way without really understanding all the components of digital assets and blockchain technology. Unfortunately, negative scandals in this space, lack of clarity on regulation has just resulted in crypto almost becoming a dirty word in financial services world. And uh, however, there's so many elements of crypto that have the ability to transform the way we make payments. And I think this negative connotation with the word crypto is really hampering and is one of the blockers to the conversations that need to be had to um, adopt this new technology. Excellent. Yeah, I think we had a bit of foreshadowing earlier in the show about this one for your choice for this one. So very, very pro cryptocurrency then in terms of the technology, you just feel that the word now has just had such a negative connotation, it just needs some some time away, right? I think maybe even with education, it's actually understanding what there's so many elements of crypto and not all elements of crypto are good, but then not all elements of traditional payments are, are good. Well, it's it's not that they're not good. It depends on risk appetite. You know, you wouldn't really equate a sterling chaps payment to um, doing a derivatives trade. Um, but everything's sort of lumped over into one in, in, in terms of crypto. And I think it means that before you can even say the next sentence, as soon as you mention crypto, people are bunkered down and ready to defend. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's a shame because we had a similar argument made about NFTs actually earlier yeah. in the season. <laughs> Where, again, the, the technology about it is innovative and has some great potential, but then it's because of the, the whole NFT investment craze and everything. It's yeah. just suddenly it's just become a, a really negative word. It's yeah. been a bit sullied almost. People think about just monkeys only. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, do you think a, another word or term is needed to, to differentiate digital assets and blockchain from crypto? Or do you think that perception will start to change? As you mentioned, their education improves as the space matures I as well. I see some languages have started to be changing anyway people no longer always talk about crypto they talk about web3 so people are trying to change the narrative but i think alongside changing the narrative there also just needs to be more education around how the technology works what are the differences um, and how it can be leveraged and then separate that from the other sort of type of trading activities that can can go around so really the sort of trading needs to be removed from the actual technology of crypto 
Excellent. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I'm, I'm more than happy to throw crypto into the jar. I think it's been in at least once before, but we're <laughs> going to be putting it back in again. And then, like you say, hopefully if, if education improves as the space matures as well, then we can start thinking about breaking that a bit further down the line, maybe. Great. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Teresa for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on X at Fintech Futures, and of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. Thanks as well to Arama for editing this podcast. You can check them out at arama.tv. As always, thank you so much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.